Well, good morning, Keystone. Uh, I agree with what everyone else has already said. Uh, I wish that you were here. It always feels a little weird to preach to a room full of empty chairs, uh, but trust that God will use this to speak to you uh, wherever you're going to be watching it from this morning. Last week, we started a series uh, called Transitions, where we're looking at different times throughout Scripture where God's people face some sort of change or transition in their lives. Uh, and the idea is that behind it is to help kind of ground us and settle us as a church as we walk through some big transitions uh, in the coming months. But also the idea that all of our lives are probably either in the midst of change currently or have change coming up. Uh, that our lives are constantly changing. We're constantly going through all sorts of transitions. And so we want to know, all right, how would God shape us, mold us, prepare us for those types of changes and transitions in our lives. Uh, several years ago, four years ago, my wife and I went out west for one of the first times. My brother lives out there and he was getting married and so we were headed out to California and we decided let's make a little trip of it and stop at some of the national parks. Uh, we've heard people tell us how beautiful the national parks are but we've never been to any of them. So we flew into Las Vegas and then uh, rented a car and drove up to Utah to see Zion National Park and Bryce Canyon National Park. And they were absolutely incredible, uh, better than what I would say they'd been to describe to us. And we, I can still remember the first day we were at Zion, the, the first hike that we went on. Uh, we didn't do Angel's Landing, which is kind of the famous one because that was closed down because I think there was like a rock collapse that covered one of the trails. But we did a hike up to Observation Point, and you can see the picture on the screen there probably. Uh, and it, it's this hike that zigzags kind of up the side of a hill, then goes through some canyons, uh, and then zigzags up the side of another hill until about four miles in, you reach this overlook of Zion that is absolutely incredible. It's probably one of the most beautiful sights that I've seen in my life. But what I remember happening is that the, the higher that we got up on that trail, the, the more uneasy I started to feel. And, and you have to know, I, I don't really like heights, and so that's kind of the reason behind it. But, but even the description of the trail said this. It said, although the trail is quite wide, it hardly seems wide enough to prevent the traveler from being drawn into the yawning abyss. And so at the bottom of the hike, I was not concerned at all about how wide the trail was. But the farther I got up, I found myself being very concerned about how wide that was and sticking to that one side where there was kind of a rock wall on the side of it as far as I could away from the yawning abyss. That with the change in height came a certain amount of fear. I would say the same thing happens with changes and transitions in our life often, that they can present us or cause us to fear in some way. And that the ground that we're standing on all of a sudden becomes all the more important as we walk through changes and transitions. And so the big idea of driving this morning is this, that God's word grounds our lives throughout seasons of transition. Uh, this morning, if, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Joshua 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9. 
Last week, we looked at the story of Moses and the Israelites. As they went through a big transition, as God called Moses to go and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. This morning, we pick up 40 years after that. The, the Israelites have come out of Egypt, and they've spent the past 40 years wandering around in the wilderness and the desert because of their continual disobedience to God. And now they're on the edge of the land, about to enter into this land that God has promised to give them for years. And yet, there are several things that could cause the Israelites to crumble in fear as they stand on the edge of this land. First of all, we find out Moses is dead. Their leader for 40 years, the, the person they've looked to to guide them, to lead the way for them, is all of a sudden gone. Second of all, they're headed into a land where the people who are there are more numerous, more fortified, and better armed than the Israelites. The, the Israelites are by no means heading into these battles as a favorite on their own. They are underdogs in many ways. And then thirdly, specifically for Joshua, the last time he tried to lead the Israelites into this land to convince them to go was in Numbers 14, and we can find out there they almost killed him when he tried to do it, that they threatened to stone him because they didn't want to go into this land for fear of what might happen. And so we, we stand in the midst of this scene. There are all sorts of things that could cause the Israelites to cower back in fear. And, and so let's pick up in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, to see how God responds in the midst of this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, we read in your word that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. God, we recognize for all of us, in some ways this life is but a transition, that it's temporary that we won't be here forever, but that what you've spoken and what you've promised to us will last forever. And so God, we want to ground our lives not on what is temporary, but what is on 
forever, eternal, what will last forever. And so we pray this morning that you might speak to us and ground our lives on your word more firmly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Keystone would say that one of the things that we want to define us as a church and as a people is that we would be Bible-saturated. And, and I love that image because I think it gives this picture of like a sponge that is soaking in water, absorbing as much water as it possibly can so that if you would pick up the sponge, it's heavier because of what it's absorbed. And then if you would squeeze the sponge, what would come out is water that it's absorbed. This picture that something is so affected by something else outside of it that it starts to define its very being. And this idea that we want to be so shaped and affected by the Bible that it affects who we are to the core. And so in relation to that, I I really want us just to ask and discuss three questions as we look at this passage today. First of all, why should we want to be Bible-saturated? Like, why should that be so important to us? Why should that remain so important to us as a church and as a people? Second of all, uh, what does Bible saturation do to us? What effects does it have on us? How does it impact us? And then thirdly, how do we become more Bible saturated? And so let's jump in with the first question. Why should we want to be Bible saturated? And I would say the answer is, pretty straightforward, and yet should shock us every time we really start to think about it, that God speaks to us through a book. That, that when God comes to Joshua, and, and he starts to speak to Joshua, we could look at these verses, verse 1 through 9, and see that God really isn't saying anything new. That if you look at the cross-references, it's all already been said in many ways in Deuteronomy. And God's just pointing back to what he's already said and reminding Joshua of it. And then he tells Joshua specifically in verse 8, referring back to Deuteronomy, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. God, God is saying to Joshua, I wrote you a book. And if you, you want to know what I say, read the book. You, you want to be strong and courageous read the book. You want me to guide you? Read the book because I've written a book and if you want to hear my voice, read the book. It, it starts this trajectory in Joshua to what we have today, a complete book given to us by God in which he speaks to us. That truth should amaze us over and over and over again, that God speaks to us in a book. And yet how easy it is for familiarity with God's word to make us forget. It's God's word speaking to me, speaking to you every time that we open it up and start to read in it. I think of every time that I pull out my iPhone now, I'm not very amazed by this. 
I'm not very shocked by it. Uh, but if you would have handed me this in 2004 and put this in my hand and, and told me, this can do everything and more than what your parents' desktop computer can do. That it can look up any information you want. That it can play any song you want. That you can pull up, you can watch live TV on here. Like calling and texting people, that's the least of what this can do. I, I would have looked at this and thought, this is incredible. Because it is, this is absolutely incredible. And yet how much more incredible is it that every time we open up our Bibles, there is a God who speaks to us. That even as I read, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. That's God speaking to me, to you. This is why we should be Bible-saturated, or this is why we should want to be Bible-saturated, because the same God we talked about last week, who is majestic and infinite and eternal and unchanging, every single time we open it up, speaks to us through the pages. Charles Spurgeon has this great short quote where he says, we should visit many good books, but live in the Bible. I love that picture. Visit many good books, but camp out, dwell in, live in the Bible. And I think so often in an age where we've got a wealth of information and resources, we flip that around. And we visit the Bible and live elsewhere. Even if it's good where we're living. The podcast, Christian books, online articles, YouTube videos, good things, but things that were always meant to be supplements. And, and supplements are never meant to be the main course. And the main course is always meant to be the Bible because that's what God says he speaks to. I, I think perhaps one of the best things we can do every time we open this up, every time we start to read it, is try to remind ourselves there is a personal, uh, majestic, real God who is speaking to me as I read these words. And that that would be what drives us over and over and over again to want to be Bible-saturated. The, the second question was this then. What does Bible saturation do to us? What, what effect does it have on our lives? Or what effects does it have on our lives? And I think we can point out two from this passage that we read. First of all, that God's word reorders our minds, that it reorders how we think. And you could even maybe think of Romans uh, 12, 1 through 2, that we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that when we read God's word, what he's doing is he's reordering how we think, that, that he's reordering, first of all, how we think about circumstances in our lives. I, I love verse 2, where God speaks to, Mo, to Joshua and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Moses is dead. Those to, to the Israelites, those are huge, life-changing, history-altering words. 
Those are like the, the president is dead words to us. And yet, I love how God puts it. Moses, my servant, is dead. It, it's as if he's saying, the servant is dead, but the one who he served is not. God is essentially saying throughout this whole passage, yes, change can be fearful, but I've got you. My word has not changed. My promises have not changed. And let that shape how you think about whatever circumstance you're facing, Joshua. Like if, if we want to be people who are grounded, who, if we want to be people whose circumstances don't overwhelm us and sink us, that then we, it is imperative for us to be saturated in the Bible because it becomes the life raft through which we travel across all sorts of changes and circumstances that would otherwise perhaps sink us. God's word also reorders what we think is important. It's interesting, the, the Israelites, Joshua, they're on the edge of the land about to head in for lots of battles. And do you notice in what God first says to Joshua? There's no battle plan. There, there's no, here's how you're going to defeat all those nations. Here's how you're going to topple all of them. Here's how Jericho is going to fall down. Yeah, that, that will come later. But first of all, it's simply arise and go, Joshua. Listen to my word. Be careful to obey it. Obey me and let me take care of the rest as it comes along. It's so easy for us to believe that the big changes are, are what really matters, what's really important in our lives. And it's almost as if this passage is reminding us, no, what's really important is the daily, day after day, simple obedience to God. That, that we obey God in the present and we leave the future up to him. And I need to be reminded of that over and over and over again because I so easily live in the future thinking that's what matters and miss it's right now, right here. How is God calling me to obey him through his word? That that's what matters most of all. Courage doesn't look like having everything of our future figured out. Courage looks like I'm going to obey God right now and I'm going to trust him with all that I don't know with the future that's coming. God's word is meant to have this reordering effect on our minds and our entire lives, I would say, that as we go back to it over and over and over again, we trust that God is reordering how we think and feel and live according to how he wants us to be. I think this is where it's helpful to think of spiritual training kind of in the image of physical training. Um, I don't go to the gym. Surprise, right? I know you might think I do. I don't. Uh, I went to the gym for three months of my life. And then I realized after three months that sleeping in uh, was a lot better than waking up at five and going to a place that was stinky and sweaty. But, but I know that a lot of people do enjoy going to the gym. And, and here's what anyone who goes to the gym knows, I think. That you don't go one time or even one week, or even one month, and expect to see drastic changes, but that you go over and over and over again, week after week after week, month after month after month, and maybe a year in, or maybe two years in, 
You start to really see changes that you didn't see before. And I think we've got to have the same mindset when we come to the Bible. Because I think so often we come and we read and we open it and we think, well, I didn't really get anything out of that. And, and sometimes it's because we just have this idea that we're going to come and instantly things are going to be changed. And while that may happen at times, I would say it's far more often we come to Scripture and over and over and over again. And slowly but surely, God reorders how we think about things. God's word also reshapes our reality. That's the second answer to the question, how does Bible saturation affect us? What does it do to us? That God's word invites us to see the world in a different light. I love what God says to Joshua and the Israelites in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to the people of Israel. Notice, not I am giving, not I will give. Joshua, there is no place that you're going to step in this land that I haven't already gone before you and already given to you because it's mine to give to whoever I want. Like, it's this image of Israel is this 150-pound running back, and God is this 350-pound lineman plowing over the way for Joshua and the Israelites to simply walk behind. It, it changes their view of the world to say, there's a God who owns all of this, and he can do whatever he wants with it, and he's saying, I've already given it to you. Now walk in and take it, because it's already yours. This is also why he tells Joshua in verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. It's interesting. That phrase echoes Deuteronomy 9.3, where God's telling the Israelites, okay, it's time to head over into the Jordan or head over into the land. Get ready. You're going to go in and dispossess, dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? And God's saying, no, 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 no. Who can stand before you, Joshua, because I'm with you? It's not who can stand before them, though they seem big, though they seem great, who can stand before you? And how different this is than the view that the, was given by the 10 spies in Numbers 14 after they spied out the land. Because they came back and, and they said, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. And they seemed, and we seemed, sorry, to be ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. And God is saying, no, no, no. They're grasshoppers. I'm with you. I will be with you no matter what. This land is mine. I give it to you. God invites us to see the world by faith. I think a good way to think about that is God invites us to step into a different reality. We, we might even say ultimate reality. I, I love the, the picture here, maybe, of uh, the kids in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That they step through the wardrobe into a new world that was always there, and yet it's just walking through the wardrobe that opens their eyes to see it. And I think about the conversation some of the older kids had after they were doubting their younger sister, Lucy. Like, is she crazy? What, 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 did she actually see? Is this actually a world? And they, they talked to the professor that they're staying with. And Peter asks, but do you really mean, sir, that there could be other worlds 
all over the place, just around the corner like that? And the professor answers and says, nothing is more probable. As we open up scripture and read it, we're we're stepping into a new world in some sense. A world where the sons of Anak are like grasshoppers. A world where the weak become strong. A world where the humble become exalted. A, A world where sinners are called righteous in Christ. A world where death is gain and life is ultimately found in laying down our life to follow Christ. A world where with God nothing is impossible, he says. That we step into a new reality and it's not virtual reality, it's not fake reality, it's actual more ultimate real reality that we don't see unless we look through the lens of scripture by faith. I think we... We read a passage like this, and we all want to be strong and courageous. Like we read those words, like I want to be. Sh-. No one sets out to be cowardly and afraid. But the question is, how how do we become strong and courageous? And I would say by having a view of the world that is so so radically reshaped by the Bible, and more specifically the God of the Bible, that that's where our courage and strength comes from as Christians. If we find ourselves dominated by a fear of the future, a what's going to happen with our country, what's going to happen with my family, what's going to happen with my life, perhaps it might mean we're being more shaped by other voices than we are by God's voice and that we're not living in ultimate reality as scripture presents it. To us. God invites us to, to see the world in a new light, and he also invites us to experience his presence with him. This passage makes a clear connection between living with courage and knowing that God is with us. That's why it says multiple times, I will be with you, Joshua. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I won't leave or forsake you. If knowing God is with me, knowing God is with you, is the key to living with courage, then I think it'd be good for us to ask, how do I experience that reality on a day-by-day basis? Like, how, how do I tap into God's with me-ness? How, how do I hook into experiencing him with me day by day by day if that's what I need to live with courage no matter what? And that, that's, a, that's a really important question. That's like the scuba diver asking, how do I hook into my oxygen? And this passage seems to be connecting that how, how do we tap into the reality that God's with us? We live in, we dwell in his word day by day by day, and we experience his presence with us. I, I know I, I've shared this before, but I think it's worth saying again, in light of kind of this passage. When I was an 18-year-old, I found myself wrestling with the questions that lots of people do sooner or later. Is God real? Is what I've been taught for the past 18 years of my life really true? Or or is this just like made up and people are kind of confirming each other in this belief? Like, does God really exist? And, And in the midst of wrestling with that, God drew me to open up the Bible and read after never touching it for years. And 
and something happened that I can't explain but completely believe is true. That as I read these words, God showed me he's real. That, that I experienced that he is real and he's with me and that who this Bible talks about really exists. And I think that's important because I would say if you're someone who wrestles with or is wrestling with, is God really real? If, if you're maybe a teenager or even young adult who's grown up in the church and you're wondering, like, is all this stuff I'm being told over and over again really true? One of the best ways for you to find out is not to have me tell you that it is, not to have someone else tell you that it is, but to pick up a Bible, open it up, read it, and say, God, reveal yourself to me. And that if, if you're someone who simply wants to get closer with God, wants to grow in intimacy with him, that one of the best ways to do that is to simply open up the Bible over and over and over again and say, God, show me yourself. Show me who you are. Show me what you're like. Draw near to me. I would say to, to be Bible-saturated is to have our lives drenched in the reality of God's existence and his presence with us. That leads to the last question. How do we become Bible-saturated? And I'll, I'll give three answers to that question from this passage, because I think God gives Joshua a picture of what it means to be Bible-saturated in verses 7 through 8. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What, what does it look like for us to be Bible-saturated? How, how do we become more Bible-saturated? The first answer is, is probably the most obvious, and it's simply that we read the Bible. That God tells Joshua, don't let these words depart from your mouth. Read it carefully. Don't turn to the right hand or the left hand. Know it. Study it. Take it in. And I think we, we know that, but it's good for us to remember how important it is to be absorbed in this word. And I think one, one of the good, part, uh, good parts about New Year's is it's a time for us to, in some ways, reset. A time for us to think about what are the habits that I want to develop in my life? What's, what's important for me in my life? And I, I think one of those for us over and over again should be simply, all right, what is my plan for how I'm going to read this? And I, I would say the, the specific plan that you use to attack this, to read it, isn't ultimately important but that it's important that you do have a plan, that I have a plan, because otherwise it just probably remains a good intention. And so there, there are lots of good ways we can go about making sure we, we read scripture over and over and over again. Uh, I'll just mention two for example, and I include these in the notes under farther resources. One is that, and I know there's lots of these, but one would be a simple Bible reading plan to take you through the year in a Bible. Uh, there's a navigator's Bible reading plan that I think is helpful because it has you read through the Bible, but only gives you 25 days a month. 
And so there's flexibility to miss days, to sleep in at times, to be rushed and not read it, and yet not fall behind and then get overwhelmed by it. That there's structure and flexibility. Uh, another is actually one that Brandon would have just mentioned to me last week. Uh, that there's an app for the Bible project that you can download on your phone or, or, or whatever it is you have and follow through uh, reading the Bible as it takes you through different movements in the Bible. And with each movement, it has a video that helps you understand, grasp what's happening in this movement, and then read along in it. Again, here's what I'd say. The, the plan that you might use, it, it doesn't ultimately matter what the plan is, but it, it matters that the plan helps us to hear God's voice, because that's what we're going for. And I would also say, don't become, if, if, if you do use something like that, don't become consumed by the plan. Because no one is checking in on you to be like, did you, did you get all your boxes checked off? Did you, like, no one's keeping track of that but you in some ways. And so don't become so consumed by the plan that you, you get way down. And if you miss a couple days, you, you give up completely. Like, remember, the, the point is not completing simply a plan. It's, I want to hear God speak. And so I want to get into his word. Second, we find God telling Joshua and us to meditate on his word. It says, meditate on it day and night. This is something that I think I, as well as maybe a lot of us, far too easily neglect because we rush from one thing to the next to the next and struggle to sit and soak, to pause and ponder, to stop and be stunned. And I think it's really valuable for us to get in the habit of at times just soaking in one verse, one thing, and thinking it through and pondering it and looking at it and wrestling with it. Uh, I think of a couple weeks ago, my family went to uh, the Baltimore Aquarium. And so my wife and I, my son Oliver went, and as a relatively new dad, I was extremely excited going into it to show my son all these different fish. Right? All the different sizes, shapes, colors, and, and to tell him about the, the fish that God made and how incredible that is. And so we get there and we're going from kind of one tank to the next to the next. And then we get to this tank uh, that has no fish in it, but there's a scuba diver in it, which sounds a lot cooler than what it actually was. Because the tank was not that deep. The water was probably only up to here. Uh, and the only reason that he had scuba gear on was so that he could stay down under longer to clean the windows or clean the glass. And so I saw this and I'm like, who cares? Scuba diver. Let's go see the fish. And, and my son just kind of stopped and stared. And finally, I, I convinced him like, hey, let's go. There's more fish over here. Let's see the fish. And we went over and eventually, I want to go back to the scuba diver. And he walks back to the scuba diver. He just stood there and just stared. And I think he probably would have stood there for like 30 minutes if we let him because he was just in all of this, in all of this. And then for, for the next week, whenever someone asked him about the aquarium, he would talk about the scuba diver. And, and he has these headphones that he would all of a sudden use to kind of put around his head and then act like he was plugging in the cord to oxygen and kind of go down under the couch. I think that's what meditation is. 
to stop and stare and be so absorbed by something that it starts to deeply affect us. A reality that, that sinks down into us and then shapes our hearts and then affects our lives. And that that's what God calls us to as we open up his word as well. Not simply to cruise through, but at times to simply stop, stare, pause, ponder, and soak in what he's saying to us. And I think there's probably lots of ways to do that. It might be just taking a verse and journaling thoughts about it. It might be using explore journals that Keystone has to have us ask questions of verses. It might be maybe a really good tool is just memorization of I'm going to take a verse and I'm going to memorize it because I want it to sink down from my head into my heart and I want God to be able to bring it back to me when, when I need to hear these words. And, and so again, there's probably lots of tools you could use for that. I included one on those farther resources, just an app called Fighter Verses that I think can be helpful. So we read the Bible to get it into our minds. We meditate to hopefully get it down into our hearts. And then lastly, that we live according to the Bible. God brackets verse 7 and 8 with these words. Being careful to do according to all that is written. It's, it's the idea of don't just know it, don't just think about it, but live according to it. That we ask the question of how should this truth, how should this reality that God's opened my eyes to impact, shape my life, affect how I live? And so, for example, we could read Joshua 1.9 again where God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And we might stop and think, okay, I don't need to be afraid today because God is with me wherever I go. And so I don't need to be afraid of walking into that meeting with my boss. I, I don't need to be afraid of making a fool of myself at school or failing in that big game in front of everyone. I don't need to live in fear of getting sick or, or, or people that I love getting sick. I don't need to live in fear of change in my life or of moving my family or of having my son or daughter go to school for the first time or leave home for the first time. I, I don't need to live in fear of changing jobs. I don't need to live in fear of that difficult conversation that I think God wants me to have. I don't need to live in fear of going up to someone on Sunday morning and introducing myself to them. Like, there are all sorts of realities that all of a sudden when we take what God said and say, okay, how should this impact how I live? That it can start to shape our lives as we answer that question. If we want to be a Bible-saturated church, living with courage, it absolutely matters what we teach on a Sunday morning in Keystone Institute, in Sunday school classes, in youth group, and from the pulpit. But it matters just as much what we do with the Bible individually. That, that if we want to be a church saturated by the Bible, that we read it and meditate on it and live according to it. I, I want to conclude with one final question that I didn't have in the start. And that's simply, what's the end goal of Bible saturation? Like, what, what are we aiming for if we're going to be saturated 
in this book. And I would say the end goal is awe and amazement at a God who not only wrote a book, but wrote himself into the book. Because the the story of Joshua could be summed up as God gives and Israel receives. And that's a story of the Bible in miniature. That God gives abundantly and we receive with thanksgiving and praise. That over and over and over again, God gives And that as we become a Bible-saturated people, we see him giving over and over and over again, ultimately giving us his son. The one who fully was Bible-saturated and never did turn from the left or the right. The, The one who no enemy could stand before, not even sin or Satan or death, but everyone bows down to his reign. That that our goal in becoming saturated. Bible-saturated, is that we become saturated by his story and that we live in light of that story. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for being the one who speaks to us. We praise you for being a God who has not left us in the dark, but spoke to prophets many years ago and told them to write down words and then spoke fully and finally through your son and recorded his life and his words and then spoke to the apostles and and had them compile it then ultimately in a book that's been passed down to us that we now have today. And God, I pray that this book would be sweeter to us, would be more valuable to us than anything else in the world and that we might read it and then might be shaped by you as we read it. I pray this in Jesus' name. What we see, what we see.
that resounds in our minds and in our hearts. We confess that there are a lot of voices, and maybe now more than ever before, with everyone having a platform on a social media and so many news channels and so many podcasts, there are a lot of voices. Father, you're the voice that only and ever speaks truth. Father, would you open our eyes to see that reality? Allow your words to shape everything that we see. Father, within groups at home, I pray that you would help us. I pray that your spirit would allow us to, to meditate, bring clarity. Lord, we see in the scriptures that your spirit hovers over chaos and brings order and life and beauty. We see your word that was in the beginning, that is your very essence, bringing life when you speak things happen. Darkness becomes light. Death becomes life. Father, I pray that you would bring that kind of life and light to us as a people that we might see and know, taste and see that you are good. We ask that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. I'll see you next Sunday.